It's in the making of the money that we can be the best stewards to accomplish God's eternal purposes. We all would agree, most Christians would say, that God owns it all. That's a, a biblical truth that we can find. Uh, you know, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Psalm 24, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. But remember the Lord, for he's the one who gives you the ability to create wealth. We say that, but when I look at people's portfolios, it's hard to really find, do you really believe that? Welcome to the Generosity Now podcast, where we bring you inspiring stories of generosity and whole life stewardship. Our goal is to showcase individuals and organizations making a positive impact on our communities and across the globe. I'm your host, Eric Most, president of the National Christian Foundation, Rocky Mountain Region, and I'm joined by my incredible co-host, Lori Bossert, VP in our office. Lori, how are you doing today? It's a wonderful day. God's just really been good to my heart this morning. Uh, amen. Amen. Yeah. Reconnection of uh, of of old relationships is going to happen today on the show, which is a lot of fun. Today, we have Don Simons, uh, author of the book, The Steward Investor, Investing God's Resources for Eternal Impact. Don is not your typical investment expert. With over three decades of experience in managing a thriving boutique investment firm in upstate New York, he's a certified financial planner with a unique blend of professional portfolio strategy and a deep understanding of investor psychology. But what sets Don apart is his unwavering commitment to the principles of Christian stewardship. And you're going to see that today as we talk about um, a book that he wrote, the book that we, we mentioned already, The Steward Investor. With nearly a quarter billion dollars of assets under his guidance, Don consistently ranks among the top 1% of financial advisors in the United States, and he sees himself as an okonomos. Hope I said that right. You're going to correct me a little bit on that, Don. Or God's designated asset manager, entrusted with the sacred responsibility of managing resources. Don's passion extends beyond financial success. It's about aligning investment decision with God's purposes. He's not uh, just preparing clients for retirement, managing wealth, and encouraging charitable giving. He's on a mission to connect investors with opportunities to make a meaningful impact through business as a mission. Don, we are so grateful for you being here today. Thanks for having me. So good. Well, well welcome to the podcast. Um, would you give us a little bit about your background? Where did you grow up? What was family life like? Um, when and, and how did you come to know uh, Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And tell us about your family today. I know it's a lot of questions, but give us that kind of biographical background. Okay, yeah, I'll give you the, the, the bird's eye view. I I uh, grew up in the Finger Lakes of upstate New York, a little town called Canandaigua. Uh, that's the Indian name for the chosen spot. Uh, quite a beautiful, beautiful region. It's part of New York's wine country. Um, I actually, I grew up uh, in a Catholic family. I met the Lord uh, in high school through the ministry of, of Young Life. Um, and uh, it was really because of Young Life and, and the Young Life philosophy of of life on life discipleship that uh, has focused on uh, all of what I've done the rest of my life. Um, I'm married for 34 years to Amy. We have four kids, uh, age 28 down to 17. Our youngest uh, we adopted from China uh, 17 years ago. Um, and we have one grandchild and another one on the way. So 
Uh, life is good. Uh, I was going to let Lori go next because she's going to riff off of uh, Young Life in the connection. But now I have to serve her because uh, we too, both of our boys, joined our family by adoption from China. So, what part of China is your is your fourth and is boy or girl? Yeah, our 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 daughter uh, is from Chongqing, a city of thirty million people that nobody in America has ever heard of. It's one of the largest cities in the world. Um, but yeah, we. Uh, <clears throat> That's a whole nother story. Adoption was really never on our radar, but because of the the work that I was doing at the time, visiting Christian-owned businesses in strange parts of the world, uh, I can think of a half a dozen times when I was either on airplanes or stuck in airports with families who were coming back with with children from all around the world, and. Uh, I said to Amy about Christmas time, you know, I think that uh, that maybe we should consider adopting. And within a week, she had done all the research and found a, an adoption agency, and boom, we were on our way. Oh, what a beautiful story, Don. Amazing. And yes, Eric, I'm going to take this moment because Don and I grew up in the same part of the country, <clears throat> neighbors to each other. We both became Christians through Young Life. We actually were in organi- in the Young Life um, clubs together way back then, and so I grew up in Fairport, New York, and my husband and Don actually worked in Young Life together. So 36-plus years ago, our roads pa- uh, cross again here in this podcast, and Don, it's just so fun to see you again and get this opportunity to share our hearts and the way God changed our lives through Young Life with and yeah. down these paths together. God's world is really small. It, it sure is. It sure is. Well, Don, um, thank you for uh, for being on the show today. I've already said that, but I, I really am grateful. I just finished uh, your book uh, two days ago in preparation for this. It, it, we'd had some conversations before. I knew I wanted to have you on here, but what a gift it is. But um, And so we're going to encourage people to get the book. I, I'm actually mailing multiple copies to my financial advisor um, and, uh, and, and have some pointed conversations around that. But would you share a defining moment or experience that inspired you? to take this uh, unique approach on on financial stewardship and investing that's outlined in the book, The Steward Investor. Yeah, um, the book is is a, is a difficult read, not that it, 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 it has hard words or those kinds of things, but the concepts are, are counter to a lot of what we, we have been taught about stewardship and, and good financial competence. Um, in terms of a, a defining moment, um, I had built a, a, a pretty good uh, financial planning practice uh, by the time I was in my late 30s, had time and, and resources, and was looking for something of significance. It was about the time that Bob Buford's book, Halftime, came out. Um, and to make a long story short, uh, I met a guy named Peter Shawcott at a conference uh, actually, Peter is not his real name, but uh, uh, that's who I met. And I was fascinated. He had started an economic development fund in London, England, that invested in Christian-owned businesses across the predominantly Muslim, Hindu, and Buddhist part of the world. And it fascinated me because uh, this was real business done with great commission, uh, deliberate outcomes, and businesses that were profitable and viable and sustainable and could repay loans. 
um, it intrigued me. So I, I sought out uh, Peter after the conference and said, you know, when can I come and visit you just to learn more and, and talk and uh, get deeper involved? This was in 2007. Uh, Peter speaks at conferences all over the world, so it's not unusual for people to want to meet with him. So he's, he, I've learned that he sifts people uh, to determine how serious they really were. And after a handful of email exchanges, he said, Don, I'll be in Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan these dates, and if you'd like to talk, feel free to get on a plane and I'll meet you there for a week. Um, so I did. Uh, after looking on a map to see where Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan actually was. Um, and that really is what began this journey for the last uh, 15 years uh, in terms of how I think about financial stewardship, wealth management, that it's in the making of the money that we can accomplish many of the things that we've been taught are really just uh, to be done through charity or philanthropy. It is just amazing how God did it. He just, he plucked you out early on and taught you right from that, that point of where he's changing your focus. So in the book, you call your call to be a faithful steward investor in a lot of ways is countercultural, right? It's not, it's not the traditional investing. It's even counter to many Christian financial advisors. Can you give our listeners a glimpse of the difference and and how you unpack that. And I think you have an acronym that you can describe here of QBL. There are uh, a myriad of books on uh, stewardship, Christian stewardship, and most of them deal with one of two things, either financial competence, how we can uh, invest and save and uh, budget and those kinds of things, uh, you know, the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University is fantastic at that. Um, and then there's a lot of books that talk about um, what do we do after we've made money and save money, um, that we should be generous with it. Um, I've simply come to believe that it's in the making of the money that we can be the best stewards to accomplish God's eternal purposes. Uh, I think we we all would agree, most Christians would say that God owns it all. That's a, a biblical truth that we can find. Uh, you know, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Psalm 24, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. But remember the Lord, for he's the one who gives you the ability to create wealth. Um, we say that with our lips. But when I look at people's portfolios, it's hard to really find, do you really believe that? Uh, I can look in your checkbook and see that maybe you've written some checks to charity, but can I look at your IRA account or your 401k account and find um, evidence that you believe that God owns that? Is there evidence that your investments are accomplishing great commission purposes? Is there evidence that you are fighting human trafficking or trying to alleviate poverty through your investments? Um, and so, yeah, uh, the, the term that we use for the kind of investments that our family seeks is quadruple bottom line QBL investments. These are investments that don't just receive a financial return, that's one bottom line, 
but we want to see social impact, um, things like poverty alleviation or uh, caring for the vulnerable of society. So that's social impact. Uh, we want to see good environmental stewardship, not exploitation of the planet. We're to care for the planet and its resources. And then the fourth bottom line would be a spiritual dimension. Is there, is there uh, a deliberate attempt through business and investment to accomplish the, the true purposes that God has put us here for? And that would be making disciples um, and uh, basically advancing the kingdom of heaven here on earth. So can we see investments, not just donations in your life that are accomplishing those things? And that spiritual, your fourth point, that spiritual, that does not limit itself to Christian ministries because we can do that spiritual side through corporate America also in how we run businesses. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I love the way that Eugene Peterson paraphrases uh, John 1, 14, uh, that God became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Uh, you know, business is the language of the world. It crosses all socioeconomic barriers. It crosses racial barriers. It crosses gender barriers. Everyone has to participate in the marketplace. Um, and this I get from Young Life. You know, this is where we earn the right to be heard. Um, when we do business uh, for the glory of God, we advance his kingdom on earth. Um, and as an investor, I recognize that investment capital is the fuel that businesses run on. Um, so we need an investor mindset that can capitalize businesses in difficult places where it might be harder to actually do honest business, places where corruption is the norm, uh, where uh, you might use the term brain drain, where, where the educated people have left those countries because there's no opportunity. If Christians aren't going to be there, moving into the neighborhood and being evidence of the salt and light of the gospel through business, who is going to do it? Yeah, as, as Lori said, the um, what you're proposing and suggesting, and I and I agree with completely, is so countercultural to so much financial planning, even Christian financial planning. I've, I've heard so many who've said, well, make as much as you can so you can give generously. And, and, and to do that, right, we know that that's going to be exploitive and it's, it has to be. To, to get as much as you can requires there to be this exploitive nature in if you're eking every aspect out, um, exploitive, um, extractionary. And, uh, and so we've had kind of this theme going. If you haven't picked up on this uh, in the podcast uh, guest, uh, you should from Rachel McDonough and Greg Lernahan and Pete Oaks and, and now Don, the, they're I think we are called to a higher standard than many of us are actually applying to our own um, our own financial situation investments. And so so thank you, Don. Um, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd prefer not to go down the negative route of uh, I get that 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 uh, business in order to generate a profit has to be exploitive. But I would go the other way and say, how can we flavor our business with generosity and the character of God? So, 
you know, one of the examples that I would give, some people will say that profit is the lifeblood of business. I would say, uh, actually, it's margin. It's it's being able to sell a good for more than what it costs you. That is the lifeblood of business. Business is, or profit is simply a function of the other levers and dials that we move. And in it's in, it's in that, uh, that manipulation of those lever and dials that different stakeholders receive more or less. Mm. So if I take my little business as an example, my second highest cost for the business is the cost of healthcare. I choose to provide a very generous healthcare package to all of my employees. Well, I could choose to do a lot less which would drop more to the bottom line of profit for shareholders. But I have deliberately flavored the business with a generous spirit to provide the health care at an affordable cost for my employees. That benefits that stakeholder at the expense of the, the profit for the shareholder stakeholder. I think that's uh, an appropriate way to do, do, to do business. And Don, that is so much living out the life of generosity that I believe God's calling all of us to. It's living out the generosity that we know that God gave us the generosity of his son, and we are called to mirror that generosity to our fellow believers and our fellow non-believers. That's how they can see the love of Christ. That's how I learned the love of Christ was people being generous and reaching out to me. I was a mess of a kid. I had a difficult childhood. And what a way that God has been generous to totally change my life by me understanding that. And I do want to reflect that. I think we need to remind ourselves sometimes of that generosity Christ has shown us. Hmm. Yeah, that, that reminds me of the kind of the redemptive framework as well. And we say that... Um, uh, I agree with what you were saying, Don. The to to maximize, I think, profit to the bottom line is what I was kind of go after. Has yes. to be exploitive. Um, I like the redemptive framework that says, "I sacrifice, we win," and yes. and and that's. Um, <clears throat> And that we win is uh, is also like seeing like human flourishing to a whole nother level, right? And uh, being able to pour into your employees. So I love that. You speak a lot in your uh, in the book, and heard you other places talk about um, you work as an oikonomos. Am I saying that right, Don? First off, oikonomos. You okay. got it. All right. I I took Greek in college. But I did really poorly in it because I was taking like 32 class hours at the same time, and it, it about crushed me. But Okonomos is, um, or God's Designated Asset Manager. Uh, this is a central theme in your book. Um, how has this perspective shaped your investment strategy and influenced the way you guide your clients? Yeah, we talked a little bit about that already mm -hmm. relative to seeking quadruple bottom line performance. You know, I, I think that the, the key term oikonomos in, in today's language would be a legal term fiduciary. Mm -hmm. um, a fiduciary is one who has a legal responsibility to do uh, for the true owner what the true owner wants to accomplish. And I think that perhaps where we've become uh, a bit off of the mark when we interpret stewardship. We, we, we interpret it, as I said, 
as financial competence for ourselves. So the seeking of maximum financial return at the lowest risk is really something that's, that's for ourselves. As a fiduciary of God's resources, we should ask what are God's purposes um, and then align investments in accordance with what his purposes are. Um, and those would be those quadruple bottom line kinds of investments. But seeking uh, great commission outcomes to me is, uh, that's not a, it's not a negotiable. Um, and yet our financial planning generally focuses on maximize return, minimize risk, minimize taxes, so that I can educate my kids, have a comfortable retirement, buy a vacation home. Not that those things are bad, um, but we should be able to try to do those in conjunction with eternal outcomes as well. I, I like to use the, the terms, how do we balance temporal financial goals with God's eternal purposes. Um, you know, to me, that's that's really the exciting part. Uh, you know, there's the parable in Luke about the, the unjust steward. Um, and, and Jesus basically says, uh, use worldly wealth to gain friends in eternity. Um, I'm looking forward to the day in eternity where I get to meet people from all over the world that are my friends because I financed a viable, uh, livable standard wage standard of living for them. And in some cases, they've come to know the Lord because of the redemptive nature of the people who are running businesses. That's what gets me excited. So, Don, I know you've been involved in a lot of that investment in those redemptive businesses overseas. Will you, for our listeners, can you just give us an example of one of them? Yeah, this is not easy um, because I've got stories of success and, and stories of uh, what may appear to be a, a failure. Um, one of my favorite businesses is one in Ethiopia. Uh, it's actually an apple orchard that we started six, seven years ago. Who would think that you could actually grow apples in Ethiopia? I thought it was all just sand and desert. Uh, the southern part of Ethiopia actually has highlands um, with elevation that's high enough that there's a moderate climate to, to grow apples. Uh, we have about 100 hectares of land with 48,000 apple trees on it. This land just a, a generation ago was the killing field between three warring tribes. Their oral history talks about them shedding blood in th this, this field for generations. And what, uh, what this business has been able to do through viable business that pays sustainable wages is bring those three tribes together to work on a common cause um, in a redemptive atmosphere. And I've been there and seen in person people who have come to know the Lord, and I've seen worship services taking place in the middle of this orchard. Um, it's difficult. There's been corruption. And even now, it's uncertain what the future of the orchard will be. Um, but I can't count uh, whether it's a success or not based on just the financial. I know that lives have been changed for eternity and that I will get to meet some of those people in heaven. 
That is just phenomenal. And how fun. And I'm just going to say that apple orchard goes back to your upbringing and my upbringing, having them in our backyards. Yeah. Amen. How fun. That's good. Don, as I think about... um, folks that, that, that are listening here right now and even thinking about hey, my, my portfolios, it looks like anybody else, you know, my unbelieving uh, brother and sisters. And, and we're not asking for you to provide any specific financial advice. We're not doing that here on here. But are there some, could you give some like steps of, of ways that people can um, start um, making that change, um, becoming a better steward investor, and, and maybe uh, talk to two different groups. Talk to the qualified and accredited investor, but then also talk to the non-qualified um, investor and, and some even just some steps or things that they should start thinking through um, and some, you know, how can we, how can change some things? Yeah, our friends at, at one of the large mutual fund companies would use the, the three words, avoid, engage, and embrace. So I'll, I'll offer three steps. Um, and the first would be uh, holy stewardship. Have you applied what you understand about holiness to your portfolio? Holy means set apart for God's consecrated use. Um, if you were to shine a spotlight on your portfolio, is it a holy or corrupt or profane kind of portfolio? Um, and I'm sure Rachel spent plenty of time talking about that. I, I, w- I would just uh, add as, as my own comment um, that that's where we need to start. We need to, we need to evaluate whether our portfolios are, are clean, if you will. It's, it, it, it would be hard to say today that you can't observe that large U.S. corporations are using their clout and their influence to advance their worldview agendas Christians need to stand up and uh, evaluate what they're investing in because as an investor, you are an owner of that and you are complicit in what those companies are doing and promoting. That's evaluate and avoid. Second would be engage. Uh, within the public markets, can you invest in uh, in, in companies that say, uh, are promoting Christian values? Can we be, instead of just avoiding, can we seek to find investments that are holistic? Uh, Perhaps a real estate program or uh, a corporation that includes chaplaincy in uh, the context of the business. And there are many of those out there. Uh, You can build a a good portfolio like that. What I'm really passionate about though is the third step, embrace. How can we embrace Uh, going beyond just the avoidance to proactively seeking to advance God's kingdom. I call it PVI, proactive values investing. Um, And it might be as simple as uh, switching out some of your government bonds, uh, which are your fixed part of your portfolio for something that is a pooled fund that uh, lends money to build churches and Christian uh, schools and Christian uh, ministries. Similar rate of return, uh, similar risk profile, but your money is actually advancing God's kingdom. And then for the the accredited investors, uh, you know, can we actually go to the ends of the earth making disciples in places where Jesus' name is rarely spoken? 
on that practical pooled income investment fund as an investor that, how do I find that? Where do I go? Yeah, I mean, for compliance reasons, I really can't, I can't say, um, uh, you know, the, the name of that, um, I, I guess that would be the fourth step. Most of the stuff that I write about in the book is really hard to implement on your own. Uh, you know, my my entrance was get on a plane and go to Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan, not knowing if there would be anybody at the airport to pick me up. And I spent a decade out for, for 10 years, almost 150 days per year outside of the United States meeting people who are doing this kind of stuff. That's not an easy uh thing for most people. So you may need to seek the guidance of some uh, buddy who, who's involved in these kinds of things. So it is, it is going to invest uh, financial advisors that may be in this stream of understanding that we need to be able to go to and ask them for some of this advice as our personal advisors. It's not something we can often find on our own. It's not that there's things out on the internet that we can just seek out ourselves. That's true, uh, especially if you're if you're seeking to to really advance the gospel in what are called closed or unreached countries. Mm -hmm. uh, it, just for security reasons, uh, the fund that I used to work with does not have a, a, a visible internet presence because of the security issues surrounding that. It, it would put people's lives at risk. It's, it's a fun time that we live in, though. You know, I was having a conversation with uh, some of my friends over at Sovereign's Capital and and had the conversation. I'm like, well, I feel like we're in the, like this infancy stage, though, of of more options available for the general public and more um, more um, faith-driven investment options and this and that. And uh, this guy came back and said, well, Eric, um, just to be clear, we're, we're not uh, in the infancy stage. We're not even pre-embryotic. When you think about the total amount of capital that's invested capital here in the U.S. alone, the amount that is driven into these faith-driven investment pools and, and options is is 0.004% or something like that. It's just this minuscule amount. I'm, well, I'm, I'm still going to celebrate that we're in this pre-embryotic state, that we're at least thinking about it, that we're talking about it, that we, we, we're able to learn that we have resources like the steward investor to challenge us to, to think differently and not just go with the status quo. Yeah, it's really easy for Americans to think that we are the leaders of everything. Uh, the reality is there is a global movement that's happening. It's a movement of God. It's mm -hmm. not a movement of man that has been happening for more than, than two decades around this, this concept of redemptive business, business's mission, business for transformation, a lot of different names, faith-driven investor. Um, what I've seen in, in the 15 years is a, an acceleration of this, especially in the last five years. Um, that being said, Christians remain at least a decade to 15 years behind the secular world when it comes to aligning their investments with their uh, core values and beliefs. Uh, we should be leaders of that, but we are easily a decade behind. So we have a lot of catching up to do. Um, and a lot of it is, is simply our, 
our false notion that stewardship is simply about financial competence mm -hmm. to benefit ourselves. Mm -hmm. that, that is the, the spirit of mammon that needs to be broken um, before what I would say capital is, is uh, really well deployed for God's eternal purposes. Yeah, uh, Greg Lernahan uh, quoted your book about uh, something about a, a pit bull and Christian investors. Uh, I don't know exactly how that one went, but uh, uh, I think it was easier to take a bone from a pit bull than it is to to get a Christian investor to take a concessionary return or something like that. Well, it's just to get to try to get Christians to invest in in these kinds of projects. Okay. Um, simply because we've, we 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 need to dispel the notion that donations are sacred and investments are secular. Um, people are happy to, uh, uh, and, and I don't like it when uh, development people call their donation raising investing mm. because it's not. When you assume that you're going to lose a hundred percent right off the bat, that is not an investment. That is a donation. Um, we need to dispel that that the sacred things that we're trying to do should always be funded through donations. Mm -hmm. Investments frequently are a better way to do that. And so, you know, that that the notion that Christians, it's hard to get Christians to invest in these things, it's because they immediately think, no, that should be a donation, not an investment. Where what I've seen and I believe to be true is that the business itself can frequently have a stronger impact in a culture or a society or a community than philanthropic dollars can. And I spend a whole chapter just on that also. Well, that's why we even here at the Generosity Now podcast, a podcast of uh, the National Christian Foundation, which is the charitable side, are even having these conversations, though, because we know that our charitable dollars um, cannot solve the the greatest uh, issues around the world. It's A lot of times it's ineffective, and we need business. And you talked about um, the unengaged and unreached people groups, the, the hard places of the world. It's really hard to go in with this giant Christian missionary banner uh, into those lands. Actually, they deny you entrance, but they welcome business. They welcome um, engineers. They welcome um, wealth creation opportunities in their in their country. And it's just a better way a lot of times. So many times it's a better way. And so that's why we even elevate this conversation, which seems kind of weird being that we're the donor advice fund and the charitable fund side of things. But no, we need to have a holistic view of all of our capital, not just our charitable capital. If you'd let me for a minute, just speak to those who have donor advised funds Please. Um, because uh, this is the easiest place for someone to start to invest. Uh, too many times we feel like the donor advised fund that we set up is still our resource. And so we want to control it. Um, I can't help but think that uh, the way donor advised funds are used today looks very similar to Jesus' experience with the money changers in the temple. They used the, the rules of the day in order to get maximum benefit for themselves. But he said, your hearts are cold toward the things of the Lord. Um, when we take full advantage of the tax benefits for ourselves, but never actually deploy those resources for the charitable purposes for which you got the tax deduction, 
I think that's a lot like the money changers. And so I challenge National Christian Foundation and the other DAFs that are out there and the people who have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars in their DAF accounts that are sitting in publicly traded S&P 500 kinds of investments to get market-like returns. When are you going to actually deploy that for God's eternal purposes, the reason for which you got the tax deduction? And you can do that via investments. You don't have to just give it away. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give a, a slight defense for the folks here at NCF and the Givers because they are unique, I think, in the DAF world. Um, when you think about um, uh, charitable giving in the DAF world, last year, Givers gave in to NCF a little over $2.4 billion, granted out over $2.2 billion um, through uh, to, to nonprofits, in, in including impact investments. And so many that decide to partner with NCF uh, have that framework of let's get these dollars deployed. And so I'm going I'm to create a little bit of defense for them. But we also know that there's an immense amount of money sitting in, in donor advised funds that go untouched. And then uh, one last plug, uh, we don't do this often, but um, within the, the NCF world of donor advised funds, we just issued last October five different faith-driven investment pooled options that are fully liquid. And I personally moved my entire, our, our entire DAF balance into the faith-driven investment pools. And so that we, we are getting a return and it's also making an eternal return and impact. And that's our joy. And so I'm grateful for that. And uh, I don't think you were picking on us, but I am going to sit there and say, hey, um, I think that the folks, uh, the givers that work with NCF are, are doing a good job. But we also know of some that 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 are sitting back and we would encourage, we would say like NCF, we long to see each person reach and restored by the love of Christ. We do that by mobilizing resources. We want to see these dollars being active, be it through investment, um, the options through um, uh, using your donor advised fund to invest in these options are fantastic. It actually lowers the bar as well, which is great. We won't go into all those things. You get me excited here, Don. Um, but but yes, we want to activate these dollars. And so. And Don, you are totally correct. We do also encourage our givers that have balances that when they're trying to think about what to do with those balances, that this impact investing is a great way to do it, that they can loan the money out they can help other businesses. And many of these are business owners that have sold some of their business. And so they, as business owners, we try to encourage them to keep going as a business owner of some of these other organizations that are doing these social impacts that are really helping, giving the dignity of jobs, helping the economy in these other locations and these other parts of the world to grow out of their third world nature and, and really help the whole economy and the people, that's the whole idea, yeah. is is really showing I, the I, love of Christ. If, if I could, I'd add one other thing that I'd challenge. Come on. With large DAFs, uh, because only 1% of the population is wealthy enough to really use a donor-advised fund. So how do we use DAF money to actually democratize and create products that would be available for the non-accredited investor um, to invest $100 or $1,000 into redemptive investments. So I would challenge and encourage DAF holders to become catalysts for creating products for the rest of the body of Christ. 
You look at something like microfinance. Microfinance was initially funded through all philanthropic dollars until it was de-risked enough that you could have things like Kiva where people could invest $25 into a person's uh, you know, small business in Ethiopia or uh, Africa. So, you know, let's let's think really strategically about um, about becoming catalysts to make it easy for the entire body of Christ. That's that's what I want to see. That's a amazing, awesome dream, Don. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. <laughs> All right, so uh, I got two more questions for you. We're running out of time, and so one, um, I'm just curious, what do you think? Um, the world would look like if Christians lived the principles of this book and the conversation that we've just even had today? Well, I think it would look like uh, the early church that we see in the book of Acts. Um, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread. Everyone was filled with awe and wonders. All the believers were together, together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. you know, it, it goes on to say that there were no poor among them. Uh, there aren't poor because there's a, a shortage of capital around the world. There's there's a, 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 a an ineffective distribution of capital, and I'm you know I, I'm a capitalist at heart. I'm not talking I'm not talking about communism, mm-hmm. but I'm talking about capitalism flavored with the character of God. Um, and his nature, which would uh, rearrange how capital is deployed so that all stakeholders' needs are uh, properly met. So, yeah, that's what I envision. I think that that's that's what it means uh, to advance the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Um, Financial stewardship is not about maximizing the growth of our own hoard of wealth for our own benefit and self-indulgence. There's a lot of scriptures that we don't talk about because they're they're kind of harsh toward uh, those who are are self-focused. Um, so that that's that's my quick answer. I think it would look a lot more like the 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 early church in the book of Acts. Yes, Lord, let's do it. That sounds great. Don, you have a master class available on your website. Tell us more about that and other resources. Yeah, my colleague uh, Stephen Jackson uh, facilitates the master class, and I participate when I can. But it's a it's a deep dive into the book. It's a nine week uh, uh, study, typically ten to fifteen people in a group. We've we've found that um, really the best way to digest this content is actually in community where people can tell stories and sharpen each other and be challenged by the concepts there and argue a little bit and, uh, you know, just wrestle with, with the material. So, uh, we've had about half a dozen of those classes so far. Um, there's a new set of, uh, four or five classes that are starting in January. I think those are mostly filled up, but, uh, go to the website and feel free to, to sign up. Our, our uh, goal with that is actually um, 500 churches in the next five years. We believe it's a really good follow-on to the, the Financial Peace University that so many uh, families have benefited from. This just takes 
Christian stewardship to a deeper level. So that's what the masterclass is all about. That's fantastic. I'm excited to hear about it because, uh, or hear more about it because I actually went and signed up on it, uh, signed up for it uh, in January. I have to block some time on my calendar, but um, uh, I'm actually really looking forward to it. And so that was at thestewardinvestor.com, if I remember correctly. And we're going to link that to the show notes. That was the correct yes. address, right? Yes. Well, thestewardinvestor.com. Correct. Yeah. And uh, you had a lot of other things. There's that's that's a great place where you can get this book. You can get it in uh, in both the the written the hardback or I mean the 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 paperback version. You can get it on Kindle. You can get it on um, Audible. Um, I listened to it on Audible. Uh, Lori read it in the book form. Uh, both came out great. We were super encouraged by it. So thank you so much for your time today, Don. Thank you for sharing um, uh, sharing uh, the message that I think I needed to hear. And I think many others do. And so thank you for the work that you've been doing and for your vulnerability and joining us today on the, on the Generosity Now podcast. Thank you for having me. This has been wonderful. It's so good. Well, hey, on the Generosity Now podcast, we do seek to inspire, equip, and connect our listeners for generous kingdom impact and whole life stewardship. For more information on us, please check us out at ncfgiving.com forward slash Rocky Mountains or generositynow.org. And go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. Leave us a five-star review and share it with your network. And I really mean that. If you just take this one and text, text it to somebody else, it would mean the world to us and hopefully it would impact them and many others. And each week we close with a doxology. And this week um, we're, we're coming out of 1 Corinthians 5.15, which says, And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Amen and amen. Amen. 